0: You're listening to the MoneyWeb SAFM Market Update Podcast.
1: We're taking a look at medical aids and the changes that are coming up. uh, Most of you would have seen that your medical aids would have... you or sent you information regarding some of the increases uh, or some of the changes in benefits. I know a couple of medical aid schemes have announced that the savings pockets will be a little lower. And so there's a lot of changes that are happening. uh, And we're just going to take a look at how those changes impact uh, you as users, uh, particularly if you've got uh, certain types of illnesses or if you've got uh, more severe medical requirements than uh, what the average user might have. I'm joined on the line by... uh, Lauren Pretorius uh, to take a look at this. Uh, She is the CEO of Campaigning for Cancer. Good evening, Lauren. Thanks so much for taking the time. Uh, Let's start with the CMS report that came out last year. The report just highlighted the increase in contributions that we might be seeing from medical aid schemes uh, coming off of a lower base during COVID and medical aid schemes having higher reserves and all sorts of things around that. Uh, What are your thoughts around the contributions and how those those increases are likely to affect members.
0: Thanks a lot for having us. So um, firstly, there there has been um, discussion about that, you know, a lot of the reserves were higher due to COVID, people not using it, people not accessing their membership and their benefits as much during COVID. And that's how the schemes managed to keep um, increases less. And now there's been a a rise in that because people have gone back to their normal health seeking, um, you know, and getting their normal annual checkups and so on. um, And therefore there's been a rise in this. One thing we must take note of is specifically when you speak to cancer is that we've seen a very slight um, increase in benefits over the last 10 years. In other words, if you're looking at some um, schemes where they've actually kept benefits at $400,000 um, um, or 200000 a year for cancer cover, um, where we've seen an increase in cancer treatments um, because there've been increases and improvements in technology and newer medications. So, There's a little bit of both to play in that there's the savings from COVID, but we're also seeing that there is, for the amount of increase we're getting, we're not getting a proportional increase in access.
1: Lauren, let's look at uh, some of that uh, access. What are the rights that members have? I know there are certain uh, benefits that may be discretionary, but there's also benefits that are minimum benefits that have to be afforded. Is that correct?
0: Correct. So, um, in terms of a, a medical scheme, they are by law required to, to provide a certain level of, of, of treatment for a number of diseases um, that are considered prescribed minimum benefits so when you hear people talking about pmbs these are the 200 odd um um, types of conditions that fall under it and the general level is is that they've identified the condition and then the treatment linked to that condition is what you would get in state so by law a medical scheme must pay for those conditions and up to the level that you would get in state without any co-pay for both the diagnosis, treatment, and care of the patient with that condition. So it's always important for you to make sure you know whether your condition is a PMB, a prescribed minimum benefit. It's very important also to check. You can ask the council and you can go onto their website, the Council for Medical Schemes. They have a list of those prescribed minimum benefit conditions and check that whenever the doctor writes a code. When he gives you a condition, he normally writes what we call an ICD-10 code, and that's how they, they, they use the system to identify what code it is. You need to check that ICD-10 code that it is, in fact, reflecting a PMB if your doctor has said that it is a PMB condition.
1: Lauren, this sounds like it's very important to be reading through uh, a lot more than just the doctor's prescriptions, but also the benefits uh, contracts. I mean, these—I understand these contracts change from time to time. Um, yes. How important is it to read uh, those contracts, and what is what do uh, members need to be looking out for in those agreements? So,
0: yeah, it's part of that end of the year rush on da- on documentation that you get that you just don't want to read but it's a necessary evil and it's a necessary evil because every single year your contract with the medical scheme is renewed meaning that they can change the terms of your contract meaning they can change the benefits so your benefits from last year will not roll over into next year you set with a brand new contract so it's important for you every year to check what am i getting for the next year ahead of it and often what happens is is that we aren't given that we're given a, a, a nice like um, you know some some pictures that none of us understand, and we hope that we figured it out. sometimes we're too we're too embarrassed to ask a financial advisor or the broker. but the thing is to ask till you understand, specifically if it's for diseases that you know you have a familial history with or you've been diagnosed with. It's really important. And you don't only have to look ask for information that is provided in those documents. You can also ask them, the medical scheme for a list of the medicines that they will prescribe, uh, that they will pay for. Um, so you would ask them for the formularies and the protocols. A lot of the time, schemes tell you that they can't get it, but you have a right to this information. And in fact, you have a right to this information before you renew your um, your contract every year. There's a cutoff point um, at every for each scheme and you need to check that with your scheme. But before that, they have to give you all the information. It would be like signing any other contract. You need to know all the ins and outs and they have to provide you with all that information so that you can make it an educated and an informed decision.
1: Lauren, you mentioned a couple of changes. How are these changes likely to affect uh, longer-term patients or patients with more chronic conditions uh, and and even cancer patients in in terms of their benefits?
0: So what we're seeing is with the advancement with medication, we're seeing a lot of new kinds of medicines. And there are medicines that are called targeted or biologic medicines across a number of, of conditions. And what we're seeing is that in the past, where those um, medicines were reimbursed 100%, they're now only being reimbursed by 80% by or, or 50%, depending on which um, plan type the the patient is. So there's if your medicine was reimbursed 100% last year, it is not a foregone conclusion that it will be reimbursed 100% next year. And we're seeing this particularly with chronic conditions where um, – Patients are all of a sudden having to have a 50% copay. And this is what I said earlier on, is that we're not seeing the um, proportional increase in access versus the proportional increase in the, um, the funds and the the, um, the subscriptions that we're being asked to pay.
1: Lauren, I want to get your thoughts on the uh, new NHI bill. Uh, that's sitting before uh, Parliament. It looks as though that looks to be going ahead. Uh, how will this have an impact on, one, the medical aid schemes, but two, uh, patients that have a more severe or that have a greater requirement for uh, medications and support from the medical aid scheme?
0: So, in, in principle, campaigning for cancer bill, uh, agrees with universal health care, which effectively is what NHI is, may, saying that everyone should have access and the right to access equal um, health care. The problem is, is that the way that the, the law is currently written, it only provides that the initial provision will be for a set of primary health care benefits. Now, if you look at a, 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 a a disease like cancer, primary healthcare benefits would look at screening and diagnostic, but it's not gonna look at things like um, immunotherapy and targeted therapy, which most of the cancers nowadays are treated with. So we're really, really worried that there'll be a gap between what is in the basket, in in other words, the, the NHI basket, and what people will have to go and purchase, which is the way it seems to be um, put out in the law, although it's it's quite vague at this stage, that they would have to go and purchase from a private healthcare insurer. And this and this worries us because as currently the government has not had an in-depth um, and and value based um, look at cancer treatment and a lot of, um, you know, uh, chronic and and very life-threatening diseases, um, particularly in rare and cancer. So we're, we're, ex- we're really worried about it, and we're hoping that once um, we start looking at the ins and outs of that initial basket of care, that we'll be able to look at how patients will be able to access these newer medications.
1: We'll leave it at that. Thanks so much uh, for that. That's Lauren Pretorius, who is the CEO of Campaigning for Cancer, sharing her thoughts on the NHI, but also on the state of medical aid schemes going into 2024, and the importance of reading your medical aid agreement before the start of the year.
0: You've been listening to another MoneyWeb SAFM market update podcast, uploaded weekdays at 7 p.m.